that was probably one of the best things that could have happened uh, because the fact that I had to choose between them, you know, th that got me thinking. There's a model of happiness I love from Martin Seligman, and he says that how happy something makes us can be attributed to three things. You've got Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks Podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. This week we have a very, very special guest. His name is Chris Bailey. Chris Bailey has written an incredible book called The Productivity Project, where he actually spent a year just focusing on productivity, trying all the different tips and tools you could possibly imagine. He interviewed hundreds of different productivity experts and executives and called it all down into this incredible book, which is now being released. It's one of our favorite interviews I think we've done. It's it's incredibly valuable and we're really excited about it. What do you think, Connor? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think productivity is one of those hot topics that a, a lot of us are really fascinated with. And we've definitely, I think there's a lot of people that don't feel successful with it. And yeah, I think the great thing about Chris's message is that he boils it down into really simple, really manageable and bite-sized pieces so that you can take action in your day-to-day -day life and in your weeks and sort of like call out all the stuff that's not helping you be productive and allow you to really hone in on the things that leave you feeling successful, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Now, you're, you, you might be hearing, we have a little bit of a, a better audio quality today, and that's for one very special reason. We're actually recording today's podcast from the, the studio, the downtown studios of Roundhouse Radio, 98.3 Roundhouse Radio. It's a brand new station in Vancouver. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to it yet, it's incredibly awesome. It's what you call micro-focused radio. It's, it's all about Vancouver, incredible, uh, incredible hosts, incredible topics, and just a, a great way to spend the day listening to. So thanks so much to Roundhouse Radio. Thanks so much to, to Aaron, the engineer, who's been helping us out. But we'd also like to announce our very first ever sponsor on the Man Talks podcast, and we're growing up. We're, we're, we're not young pups anymore. We're we've big got, boys now. We've got, we've got sponsors, and, and today's sponsor is Van City Buzz. We'd love to thank Van City Buzz so much for being a sponsor of the podcast. Do you love Vancouver? Stay connected to your city with the latest news, events, sports, music, and more with Van City Buzz. Check it out on vancitybuzz.com or by searching Van City Buzz on any social media. Now, I'm a big fan of Van City Buzz. I go to it daily to, uh, to learn about what's going on in the city. But it's also you know, a great sort of central point for learning about all sorts of insider things to do in and around the city. So I'm curious, Connor, what is your favorite thing to do in Vancouver? One of my favorite things, I mean, I, I'm a walker. I'm not a white walker like Game of Thrones, but I, I definitely love walking the seawalls. And I actually have one of my favorite points, so I have like a reflection point on the seawall when you're walking through Stanley Park, you go past the little bridge and then on the right-hand side, there's like the, the naval base and right where that bridge is, there is sort of like this little tiny beach mm. and there's this massive log there and nobody's ever hanging out down there because you have to kind of jump down off the seawall. It's only like a three-foot drop, so it's not very big. But that little area, if you want quiet space, just look out over the water and it's uninterrupted and you just want to like reflect and write or just listen to some good tunes, go there, check it out. Well, it's, it's fantastic. It's not going to be quiet anymore yeah. because you've told everybody. My secret spot. We'll see you all on Connor's log. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, once again, thanks so much to Van City Buzz for being a, a sponsor of the show. Let's tuck right into the interview with Chris Bailey from the Productivity Project. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're really excited to dive into the Productivity Project. Um, but first and foremost, I have a curveball question for you. Are you ready? Whoa. 
I'm not ready, but I will give it my my all. Awesome, awesome. Well, so tell us a story about a defining moment for you as a man. Oh man, I think you know we we were chatting before the show about how we're all kind of good Canadian boys, and, and I was I was born in. Do you know Red Deer, Alberta? Yeah, yeah. I'm from St. Albert, which is right outside of Edmonton. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, a couple hours, a couple hours away. So I was born in Red Deer. This won't, this won't mean anything for people who live outside of Alberta. But I was born basically on one side of Canada, and at the beginning or near the end of elementary school, I think. You know, this was this is a long way back. Our our whole family we moved to Ontario, which is you know it's another part of Canada. But when you look at Canada on a map, you know that that distance is a long way. And I think that was kind of the point at which, you know, my life was disrupted the most. And that that kind of, you know, it got me kind of examining different parts of me and, and really curious about the world. And I don't know if, if it so much made me a better man. It, it probably made me a better man, but I think it made me a better person because I really began to, to examine uh, wh- who I was and, and what I was doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that, that begs the question, sort of, who are you now and, and what are you doing? Oh, man, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, to, you know, to build a little bit of context for listeners uh, out there, you know, what has the last uh, few years looked like for you? Yeah, it's been uh, really exciting. You know, I graduated university in May of 2013. So we're already in 2016. Oh, my God. You know, when I graduated, I'd worked hard up to that point. I I received a couple full time job offers. uh, But I decided, you know, if there's a time when I could follow my passion, because, you know, some some people have normal curiosities and and interests like cooking, like making podcasts or doing radio shows or, or whatever they do, whatever it is that normal people do sports, I guess. (laughs) Um, I've always been curious about this idea of accomplishing more in less time, which I equate with productivity. Um, You know, some people think of productivity as something that's cold, something that's corporate, something that's all about efficiency. Uh, But but I really see productivity as how much we accomplish. And I've been into this idea for the better part of a decade. And and so when I graduated, I I declined those jobs to to start a project, um, which has now morphed into this book, The Productivity Project. And it's been it's been a wild ride over the last few years, because it's the type of decision I, I gave up two jobs at these big, these big ass uh, Fortune 500 companies, and it could have easily gone the other way. You know, I, I could have declined the jobs. Uh, nobody could have followed my work, and I would have looked like a fool. But, but thankfully, you know, people kind of connected with this approach to to productivity, and and now we're chatting now. Mm. So, I mean, you said you you had this curiosity for over a decade. Where did that curiosity come from? It's hard to kind of pinpoint that. I think part of it has to do with the fact that both my parents are psychologists, which mm. has made me a bit of a weirdo, to be honest with you. But, you know, when, when I was pouring over there... But you're self-actualized. Yeah, the, in a way, you know, I've yeah. kind of looked inwards as much as I've looked outwards, I guess. Self-actualization, I'm still working on that part. But, you know, th- they've had these uh, these textbooks and books kicking around on psychology. And to be honest, when I read them, I didn't understand them. But, but now I do. And, and, you know, that I think started my path of connecting these dots around this idea. And for some reason, this sense that we only have so much time, it has been kind of strong with me too. 
wherever wherever the heck that came from. Yeah. No, it's fascinating, you know, considering you you had this sort of traditional trajectory, no, I mean, maybe not so much traditional, but this this sort of trajectory of post-secondary education, and then you were going to go on to something, you know, in the corporate world, you know, bigger and better than most people get a chance to do, but to take a step back and say, this is how I want to spend the next year, uh, kind of, on, you know, learning more about what makes us productive and, and doesn't make us productive. It, it must have taken a lot of courage, sort of. What was that moment like when you said to yourself, this is what I'm going to do? It was tough because it's the type of decision where no one would really understand it except me. Right. Um, you know, it, it looks like a foolish decision. It looks like I don't know what to do. <laughs> but but the fact that I, I got two offers instead of one, that was probably one of the best things that could have happened. Uh, because the fact that I had to choose between them, you know, th- that got me thinking. There's a model of happiness I love from Martin Seligman. And he says that how happy something makes us can be attributed to three things. How, how much pleasure it gives us, how engaged we are with it and how much meaning it adds to our life. And I figured, you know, like in the cartoons where Bugs Bunny or whoever looks down a really long hallway and the hallway begins to stretch off into infinity and beyond, like, like, like that's kind of what the next uh, 30 or 40 years looked like to me. I could see the salary increases, the raises, the career progression, you know, as I invested in my productivity, I could see my family, the house. And it's not that I freaked out, but it, it's that I thought it, I, I'd had experience with the, working at these big companies at that point. And I I thought, you know, if there's a time when I should follow my curiosity, it's now. It it just made the most sense. And there was a huge cost to that. But I figure, you know, worst case scenario, if I dive deep, deep, deep into this idea of productivity, and even if if no readers of the of the site connected with it, because it was originally a blog, e- even though the idea was much bigger to me, um, you know, even if nobody connected with it, uh, productivity is is the lifeblood of of how much we get done every day. That year would pay for itself, you know, down the line when when I got the traditional jobs later on. And and that is how everything started out is is you were you know learning about these different productivity tricks and tools and and this sort of productive life, and then you're sharing it on. On your blog, which at the time was called a year of productivity, but it's now called a life of productivity.com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it, for those that haven't actually gone to the site, you know, you have to check it out. It's an incredible resource full of all sorts of amazing insights and not, not to be disparaging, but you're a bit of a guinea pig. You're, you're, yeah. you're taking all these, uh, you know, well, these... I don't take offense to that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Much worse things than a, than a guinea pig. Right. Canadian guinea pig. Yeah. Oh, oh, don't call me a Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool idea. I think a lot of our listeners have really been engaged with this idea of productivity. You know, it's the beginning of 2016. A lot of people are are really focused in on um, being productive and accomplishing some of the goals. So, you know, maybe give us some insight in, you know, for our listeners, give us some insight into um, one of the stories or one of the key aspects of the productivity project and, and how that sort of came about for you. You know, the hard part, to be honest, was measuring my productivity uh, during the project because it was very much, you know, first and foremost, a research project. And at the start of it, you know, I I wanted to track exactly how productive I was every day. And that was hard, right? Because being productive, studying productivity is very circular. It's kind of like writing about writing. But but at the start, I I measured, you know, how many words I wrote every day, how many pages I read, how many uh, hours I worked. Um, and I, I realized kind of halfway through the project that that was the exact wrong way of measuring everything. Because, you know, the Gettysburg Address, for an example, was a couple hundred words.
100 words and it changed the course of, of history in the United States. You know, I could write a thousand words or 2000 words a day and they could be crap. Um, and, and so that that kind of flipped a bit in my head, I think, in the middle of the project of exactly how I looked at productivity. And I, I began to see productivity not as how much we produce every day, because we could produce a, a, a crap load of email, not accomplish a single thing. Um, I, I began to see productivity as a process of working more deliberately and with more intention, this deliberateness and this intention that I think, frankly, lies at the heart of productivity, um, which allows us to accomplish more. You know, productivity isn't about how much we produce. It's about how much we accomplish. And to, toward the end of my project, and I'm frankly surprised it took me so damn long to figure this out, but I came to the very simple idea that every single thing I'd experimented with, because that was one of the angles of, of the project, I did all these experiments on myself, like, you know, meditating for 35 hours over the course of a week, uh, using my smartphone for an hour a day for three months, you know, being a, a slob for a total week, you know, working 90 hour weeks, um, everything I experimented with and researched and interviewed people on because I interviewed hundreds of executives and, and these people who frankly call themselves productivity gurus. And, you know, most of them I found out really aren't, you know, they don't know much more about productivity than the average person. But everything I experimented with or researched or interviewed someone on uh, fell into one of three categories, either, you know, time, attention, or energy. <laughs> and that, that led me to kind of the idea that uh, productivity is a process of better managing all three. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's a story, but that, that's kind of the, yeah, it's not really a story, I guess. But but those are kind of the major uh, overarching takeaways from the project, that it is about bringing this deliberateness down, uh, not not only to you know what you work on in general, but what you work on every week, every day, and even every moment. I'm so fascinated with, you know, with the process you went through to write the book. And you just mentioned that you interviewed, you know, hundreds of, of executives and, and authors and, and yeah. all sorts yeah. of uh, productivity, you know, experts. Experts, at the, yeah. At, at the end of this, at the end of this, do you think you met the most productive person in the world or somewhere, you know, someone closely? Could you say, you know, uh, right now who that person is? You know, I think you're perfectly productive when you achieve exactly what you intend to. Mm. And no single human being on the world in the world that I've encountered achieves everything that they intend to. Right. Unless you're a robot or a machine, you know, who who doesn't have uh impulse or obstacles to get in their way of doing stuff because frankly it doesn't matter how good our intentions are sometimes when the obstacles that come our way, there are always obstacles that we can't anticipate coming our way. And, and this is what I found with the experts, with the executives that I've interviewed. But the most productive ones, ironically enough, are the ones who teach meditation and mindfulness because you know, it, it's it's in the moment, and this might sound a bit corny, and we might lose some people here, I'm not sure, but the people who teach and practice and oftentimes preach mindfulness, they have a way of, uh, mindfulness, I think, is a process of becoming more deliberate in the moment and working and living with more intention in the moment. That, that's really all it is. And that's, I think, where productivity is born. Because, you know, take, take you know, you mentioned New Year's resolutions, you know, take 
as an example, say we say, okay, I want a six pack by the summer and I want to become vice president by then too. Uh, but in the moment, we want totally different things. In the moment, we want to play hooky mm. and grab a cheeseburger. Right. And, and so there's always this gap between our intentions and our actions. And to bridge that, I think, you know, it, it's, it's this process of becoming more deliberate, especially in the moment. And, and that's what uh, these, these meditation teachers, they've got this down, you know, they're, they're productive, you know, they, they achieve things that are often internal and not necessarily external. But I think if they, you know, suddenly had a bit flip in their head and they wanted to, you know, drive and strive for a lot of things that were external to them, um, like, like becoming vice president, like getting that six pack, because they have that deliberateness down, especially on a moment to moment basis, I think they can kind of figure out the rest from there. Yeah, I mean, those are some really great points. And it's interesting because mindfulness really, you know, it, it brings you back into that present moment. I think a lot of what you just said there is really true. And I think we often undervalue. It's interesting to, to be talking to you, Chris, about productivity and have you talk about mindfulness. I think that that's exceptional. And it really tells me that the work that you're yeah. doing is not only well thought out, but on, on point. And I love that you brought up Martin Slugman as well. I think a lot of people would, would see mindfulness as, you know, being inserted into the productivity conversation as being a bit of an antithesis. I, I think a lot of yeah. a lot of people these days are see, my, you know, mindfulness, you know, and meditation as an escape from being productive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you it, know, it, to hear it, you say it, that it, is incredibly refreshing. In thing, yeah, in the book, I, I talk about kind of two people that I forget how I phrase. I have the book in front of me here. But I talk about, you know, the monk and uh, a cocaine-fueled stock trader. And, <laughs> and so these, these two people, these two metaphorical people, uh, they, they have total, you know, opposite ends of working. Uh, you know, the monk does so little but he does everything so deliberately and mindfully that he achieves basically everything that he intends to. Not much of it is external. And so, you know, by most definitions, it wouldn't be considered all that productive, you know, in, in kind of the modern age that we live in. Right. But the cocaine fueled stock trader that he's so busy, but when busyness doesn't lead you to accomplish anything, it's it's not productive at all. And so, you know, he does everything as frantically and as automatically as he possibly can. And I, I think the ideal kind of pace to work at is is somewhere between the monk and the cocaine field stock trader, you know, where you <laughs> so do just a little bit of cocaine. Well, yeah, don't like don't go crazy on the cocaine, but just have a little bit of cocaine, <laughs> cocaine and meditation. That's the next that's the next book. It's funny. Um, I just I just literally last night watched the movie Limitless. And I okay, feel like I yeah. feel like we're getting into that sort of <laughs> we're getting into that sort of world. Yeah, so, so my advice to listeners is to do a lot of cocaine, <laughs> but also to meditate. You know, the, the, the ideal pace, I think, is is somewhere on. between, you know, where you get the deliberateness, uh, not only in general, but in the moment. But you don't work so frantically, but, right. you know, you don't work so slowly that, you know, you don't accomplish much of anything external to you. And do you think, do you think in order to do that, you need to get into a, would you call it like a flow state? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and flow and productivity, you know, in that time, energy and attention kind of model that I have, I, I think, you know, flow is where 
energy and focus overlap, energy and attention overlap. You know, that, that's huge. And, and that has to do with uh, doing work that's meaningful to you. It has to do with uh, the challenge of the work being equal to, to what, what skill you have. And, and so there are factors that influence that too. But, you know, mindfulness and, and meditation, they help so much with that flow-like state. The book, you know, I only touch a, a bit on meditation and mindfulness in the book. And how I frame it, though, is uh, single tasking. So working on one thing at one time, uh, because when you do that, when you single task, when you work on one thing at one time, you create more attentional space around what you're working on, especially when you eliminate the distractions, the notifications, the interruptions, you know, you can't tame them all, of course. And and that's what makes, uh, you know, work challenging sometimes because a lot of uh, interruptions have mouths and, you know, they, they walk up to your cubicle, but there, there are so many that you can tame and and so many that are within uh, your control. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of break it down, I mean, I just so that I make sure that I have it right and for our listeners, but your core message is really with productivity, not the idea of doing more, Mm -hmm. but actually the sort of pruning of the hedges and taking away the things that actually make us less productive. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is that. And I I don't see productivity as doing more, 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 faster, faster, faster. Um, I think it's about doing the right things and doing those deliberately Mm. and with intention. Um, And it it used to be about doing more faster. You know, don't get me wrong. When when we worked in factories 50 or 60 years ago, you know, you guys kind of know the story. If you worked faster and you worked harder, you know, you simply got more done because Mm -hmm. the work was simple. It was repetitive and it didn't require much mental heavy lifting and energy and focus didn't matter that much either, right? Because you could, you could show up hungover and you'd still get your work done or, or you could be constantly distracted. And as long as you worked faster and, and did that simple work really fast and, and hard, you know, you got a lot done. Uh, but today, you know, when we moved from the factory office and most importantly, mindset uh, to the office, uh, things shifted, you know, suddenly our work begins to benefit from all the attention we can bring to it. Like, let's say, you know, I suck at focusing and I bring 40% of my attention to what's in front of me. And you guys are amazing, you know, at focusing, you shut off distractions. Uh, you, you can bring more attention to what's in front of you because you, you train your attention muscle by meditating mm-hmm. and you bring 80% of your attention to what you're doing. You know, if you bring 80% and I bring 40% of my attention, you're going to accomplish more in the same amount of time. And that's going to get you into these flow states a lot more frequently. And it's going to make you more productive because when the work we do requires so much mental lifting, it benefits from all the focus that we can bring to it. And the same is true with energy. You know, if we have this massive energy crater in the early afternoon, we are going to not be as productive. You know, if we drink, if we chug a liter of coffee in the morning and, you know, we try to work our way through that caffeine crash in the early afternoon, we're not going to be as productive either. So it's it's about becoming more deliberate um, in these conditions when we have more work to do than we have time to do it in. You know, we have to become more deliberate about what we're productive on in the first place. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And on the sort of like the rule of three, what are some because, you know, I'm sure that our listeners out there, I I know that they're all very uh, passionate about productivity or they're they're wanting to be more productive. I mean, I think that everybody wants to be more productive, right? I think that's it's uh, it's a very common thing for people to want to be very productive. So, you know, where where do they start? I mean, there's there's 
so much information out there on, oh, on, yeah. on how to be productive. <laughs> what's, but what's what, some of the low hanging fruit? Yeah, like what's like what's yeah. the what's sort of like the step one on the on the board of productivity for you? It's funny because there's just oh, so much. Be a, or you should do a board yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would buy that board game. I can almost guarantee you that, that that board game would go down in history as the world's worst board game. It's it's like the game of life, except it's not very interesting. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but I, I think uh, it, it's so difficult to know where to start with productivity. And this is what I found during the, the productivity project was there is so much out there. And so much of it is BS, you know, because the thing about productivity tactics is you have to make all the time back that you spend reading about productivity and then some or else you're just really looking at productivity porn. Mm. And so much of the the stuff out there is productivity porn. Yeah. You know, when you prioritize and highlight things in a different color and spend hours doing that, you're really just treading water because uh, planning is essential and stepping back is essential. But at the same time, for every minute you spend planning, that's one minute you don't spend actually doing what you're planning. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it's, it's about striking that balance. And one of the best tools I've found to do that, to kind of bring this, you know, down to the practical level so somebody can walk away with something like, okay, I know I need to be more deliberate, but how the hell do I do it? W- one of my favorite tools for doing that is, you know, you, you mentioned it quickly, the rule of three. And, and it's because this rule is so simple, but the thing about a to-do list, I keep a to-do list, I, you know, in a, an app called Simple Note and on my whiteboard and stuff like that. But the thing about a to-do list is it's a good way of getting everything that you have to get done out of your head and into an external system. But it doesn't make you care about what you have to do. And it doesn't let you kind of set these intentions for what you want to do either. And the rule of three is simple. And what you do is you, you fast forward to the end of the day in your head and you ask yourself, by the time the day is done... What three main things will I want to have accomplished? And the the rule is so simple and it's so, you know, it's almost stupidly simple. But the idea behind it is you step back and you set these intentions that you work on over the course of the day Uh, because things always hit the fan, you know, over the course of the day. Mm -hmm. But when they do, it's so easy to to flip it into autopilot mode and forget about what's important. Um, and when you do this, you step back and you decide what is important in the first place, what you need to become more productive on. And so, you know, chances are you probably won't remember a whole laundry list of things you need to do, but you can remember three. Um, and it works because, you know, at the same time you decide what you don't do when you separate the important from the unimportant. And maybe the best part, maybe my favorite part is you don't have to spend hours organizing everything on your play. You can just take a minute every day. Uh, I take usually four or five minutes and define the three main things I want to accomplish that day. And, you know, you don't always get them. And sometimes you, you way overshoot them, which, uh, which are good. Um, but, you know, over time, you kind of settle into this idea of how much you can accomplish over the course of the day. And it, just out of curiosity for you with that rule of three, are those three tasks or, you know, is one of them what I refer to as like a state of being? Because sometimes I'll write down, you know, the, the the three main things that I need to accomplish for the day. And oftentimes, you know, there are three tasks like, you know, do my emails, write this blog post and schedule, you know, a speaker for one of our events. And 
Other times I'll have two really important tasks and then a way of being like be present to every moment or turn off all distractions so that I kind of set myself up for not only the things that I need to accomplish, but the way in which I need to be in order to accomplish those things. I like that. Yeah, I, I do that sometimes too. That's usually one of, not not usually, but it's it's often one of my three things. Mm. The, the big thing is that they just be intentions, you know, whether that's for what you want to accomplish, whether that's a, a milestone you want to reach that day, whether that's a state of being or the things you have to do to create that state of being. So sometimes, you know, instead of saying be mindful, I, what I do is I say, uh, you know, take three meditation breaks today to step back from my work. So I can kind of sharpen, sharpen my attention muscle so I can, you know, bring more attention when I, you know, have to work again. Mm. So it, it's often kind of process goals that, that lead to the states of being as well. But yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and um, I, I set three weekly intentions too. And usually the daily intentions have more to do with the things that I have to do to get to my overarching goals and the weekly intentions. There are sometimes uh, things that I want to uh, accomplish, but they're often kind of these states of being. So, for, for example, right now, you know, there's so much publicity around the book. And so one of my three weekly intentions is meditate for half an hour every single day. And, you know, I, have had this ritual for, for a long time, but some, you know, I don't do it every day. And, and, you know, I know that especially during this time when there's so much, so many things that can distract me from, from what I need to do, it's crucial. And is that 30 minutes in a row? Yeah. 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 One of the, one of the insights that you uncover in the book is is that, uh, you know, you should be striving for imperfection, which seems counterintuitive to what, you know, to what most of us would think. I'm wondering if you can unpack that for us. Yeah, for sure. You know, the the idea behind that is that not all tasks in our work are made equal. So there are some that provide us with uh, a crazy return on our time and some that, you know, provide us with an abysmal return on our time. Let's take an example like watching Netflix. Like for every minute you spend watching Netflix, you don't accomplish that much. But for every minute you spend working on a report, you know, you accomplish that much more. And there are usually we have two or three, you know, two, three, four tasks that are integral to our work. Uh, in my case, you know, they happen to be speaking, they happen to be writing for, for my website. Um, and they happen to be, uh, you know, promoting this book that we're talking about this book and getting it out there. And those are the three tasks and every other thing in my work that I do, uh, either, you know, supports these tasks or is something that I can delegate to somebody else. And, and I found that, in talking to these executives and these high-performing people, as well as the productivity gurus, people usually have around three tasks in their work and everything else is less important. And so I, th- I think one of the best things that you can do for your productivity, just to give somebody else, some folks uh, something more practical, uh, so just in case they don't buy the book, I want them to leave with something, <laughs> is one of the best things you can do is to make a list you know, just on a whiteboard, on a piece of paper, it doesn't matter, uh, in, in Word, wherever. Make a list of everything that you're responsible for in your work over the course of a typical month. And then, you know, pick the one thing that allows you to accomplish the most with every minute that you spend on it mm. that's most integral to your work. And usually you got about three of them. And after that, uh, your productivity begins to drop off a cliff. And so you should spend less time on the other things. Um, and, and it's worth becoming more deliberate about that. But some things are worth becoming productive on or, or per- perfect on, like writing a book as an example. You know, mm-hmm. for every minute you spend perfecting that book, it 
produces rewards that will pay for themselves. But cleaning your house or watching Netflix, you know, nobody really cares if your house is five or 10% cleaner. And nobody is really impacted if you watch another episode of House of Cards on Netflix. And so, so there are things that are worth becoming perfect on. Um, and there are things that I think you should strive for imperfection on. Yeah, that's that's a really great point. And and just kind of to to further that, you know, I think let's maybe let's dive into what does it look like to be successful and what does failure look like? Because I think and I know that that's kind of I know (laughs) I know that that's kind of a grand question because for different people, it's going to be different levels of success. But maybe tell us about how you kind of went about defining what success looks like for you in productivity and when you know you've kind of started to stray off course, because I think you know, from a habitual nature, I think where people really go astray is that we have these habits that are ingrained in us and we start to get off course and we don't even know it. And all of a sudden we find ourselves, you know, sitting on the couch with the bowl of popcorn and watching the house of cards episode. And we're like, Oh, Crap, like how the hell do we even get here? Um, Popcorn is generous. It's usually like an extra large pizza for me. <laughs> <laughs> mine's, mine's popcorn. I, that's my crutch. Um, that's but yeah, not so bad. Yeah, give, give us some insight into what success looks like, how you know how our listeners can really define... Porn and cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> por- porn and cocaine. <laughs> Lots of um, Yeah. Did you say porn <laughs> or popcorn? sprinkling it with salt, you just sprinkle some cocaine over your popcorn. Yeah. 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 Interesting. You know that there's people out there that are going... You know, there's people out there that are thinking to themselves, that's, that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you have an audience large enough that right. somebody is to be in that position. Yeah, totally. for, for the record, I've never done cocaine. And no. Neither, yeah. And neither have I. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's just, let's just put that out there. Yeah. Totally. Success, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Um, and I don't spend a ton of time thinking about it, but what what it means to me is it's, it's going to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm really not. I think it's achieving what you intend to. And, you know, deeper than that, it's when what you intend to achieve is actually meaningful to you and it helps other people at the same time. Uh, and I think that's what it really comes down to. I, I think I think something we do is valuable for one of two reasons. The first is that it, it allows us to accomplish quite a bit in that it helps other people, it helps ourselves. And the second is that it's meaningful to us. And so some of us are lucky that our work kind of overlaps those two circles, value and meaning. Uh, I think that's kind of where success lies is in, in this intention. And I've noticed something curious over the course of, of my project is at the start, nobody followed it. You know, I didn't have followers. I didn't know nothing like that. But now, you know, a couple hundred thousand people a month look at my website. The book is is doing really well, or my publisher tells me. But the book, um, the so book is killing it. It's Yeah, it's really exciting. And I don't feel happier than I was when I had zero followers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, in a way, part of that has to do with the meditation, has to do with mindfulness. You know, I'm not less happy. You know, I'm, I'm about the same. I think so much of happiness is about coming to terms with how things change because things always change for better. They, they change for the worse. But success, you know, I, I think it has to do with this intention. And I think happiness kind of stems from that same place when we have that meaning and when we have that, that value that we, we create for other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, absolutely. I mean, the reason, you know, the reason why I asked it is because a lot of people are looking, they're looking externally for a sense of success to be like, okay, these are, I've, I've done these like 100 things. And once I've accomplished those 100 things, then I'll have a, (laughs) then I'll have a sensation of success. But I think what I really loved about your answer is that 
it's more about the feeling of success and like what what could you do? I think that, you know, why I like the idea of the of the rule of three and just, you know, making it about one or two or three very important tasks is that once you find those things, those are the things that actually leave you feeling fulfilled, mm-hmm. which will leave you feeling successful. So I like that. And then and then in terms of being off course, do you have any do you have any insight into that? I mean, I I think we all sort of inherently know and we can kind of you know, our intuition kicks in or like, okay, you are not being productive right now. Um, <laughs> but I think we all have that sense of like, okay, we're not being productive. Where, yeah. like, you know, tell us a little bit about how to get back on course if, you know, if we're in a, in a place where we're, we know that we're being unproductive. What are sort of like the well, first, first couple of things I can do? Well, what I like to do is I have a list of every element of my life and it might sound weird, but you know, I break it down. I'm just scrolling through it right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. It's it's broken down into seven categories, which compose every kind of element and sub element of my life. So, as an mm. example, you know, the main kind of, uh, I you know, I've heard the term hotspots that refer to these. Uh, the main ones are my mind, body, relationships, finances, work fun and emotions. And so under things like my mind, I have things like acquiring new knowledge, meditation, music, sunshine, mindfulness, mm. um, amount of attentional space between my the elements of my work uh, and stress relief. So all of these contribute to a healthy mind for me. And the same thing, you know, under relationships, I've listed my relationships under finances. I have all my financial goals under work. I have all my kind of work hotspots. And this is a way I review this list every week. And I, I have this kind of uh, weekly review ritual that, that I was inspired by from getting things done by David Allen. And I review this list every week. And I think, you know, where am I off track? And where do I need to get back on track? Uh, because, and this is something, you know, you shouldn't beat yourself up when you get off track, but this is something I've realized with the people that are the highest performers that I've met is that they get themselves back on track more frequently than other people. So, you know, they, they constantly kind of have this double loop where they think about everything that they're doing as opposed to just actually doing it. And they kind of question, maybe not every moment, because if you're questioning what you're doing every single moment, you know, that's just a recipe for just like a quarter life crisis or a half life crisis. But, you know, taking this weekly kind of step back or step off to the side so I can see the different elements of my life and think about, okay, maybe I spent too much money this week, so I need to watch out for that next week. Maybe I'll make that one of my three weekly intentions. But, you know, I I worked out four times this week. I spent time with my relationships. I, I, I with, with my relationships, I, I spent time with the people in my life. You know, I, I meditated every day. I, I had a good amount of stress relief because I did a lot of Coke this week. So, so <laughs> you, you go through this list and you think, okay, where am I off track? Right. Or where are my weaknesses? And also, what did I do well? You know, mm. what are my opportunities for the next week too? And you know, sometimes you got to tilt, right? So when I was writing this book, in order to do a really good job of it, or hopefully do a really good job of it, I, I had to tilt. So compromise other areas of my life, because we only have so much time in the day. And I wanted to really dive as deep, deep, deep into this as I could. But in the long term, I think we kind of diversify across these these hotspots. So if one goes to shit, you know, so if, if mm. we lose our job, we have the relationships, we have uh, a solid mind, we have a healthy body, we got uh, good finances, we, we're having fun, we have good emotions to get us through that that kind of that deficit. So I right. think 
you know, that, that, that's what I do. And I think it helps in, in the long term. So that's great. I think that's great. Like I have the same thing. I, I call it the feedback loop and it's really about creating that sort of like I do it on I do it on Sunday nights, and I'll actually like look back at my week and and reflect and oh, cool. and and have like a feedback loop so that I can kind of see where was I really productive, where wasn't I productive, did I spend my time the way that I wanted to spend my time, and what areas of that were missing in terms of you know health, finance, relationships, business, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and the most successful companies do the same thing too. You know, they mm. have this kind of idea. It's called double loop learning, embedded in their culture, where they don't just make decisions, but they have people who have the autonomy to question why and how they're making the decisions in the first place. So from the experience, you know, you can either modify or reject or, you know, kind of solidify the goals that you have, too. So it's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I find is so many of the things that work well on the personal level work, work well on the company levels, too, <laughs> like like intention, especially, you know, not working on autopilot and kind of giving people some freedom at the same time. Chris, I mean, this is the Man Talks podcast, so so we always like to ask a yeah. few sort of men related questions. Do you, you know during sure. your research, did you find did you find any difference between men and women when it comes to being productive? I know you can only you know base things off of your your experience, but when yeah. you when you're talking to you know w- women who have who have worked in this sort of field, did you learn any any sort of insights? One of the most interesting women I've I talked to in the project, her name is Laura Vanderkam. She wrote a book mm. named I Know How She Does It. And she looked at the time logs of 143 women, how they spend every single hour of their day. And, and, and all these women, you know, they work at big companies. Every single one of them made over $100,000 a year and they had families at home. And she looked at how men and women spent their time differently. And she found that you know, productivity is is very much the same between the different genders. To be more productive, you waste less time. You know, you do things like you exercise, you watch less TV. Most of these women didn't watch any TV at all. But the the difference that existed between the genders had to do with the the cultural norms surrounding them. And so even in families where, you know, the the woman worked and the man stayed home, women did more chores around the house than the men did. You know, it's it's examples like that, but I think the fundamental idea of productivity is the same for for both sexes, you know, where it's about this intention behind what we do. That's very interesting. One of the last questions that we want to ask before we wrap up here is, is do you have a legacy? Oh man, it's almost done. We're almost done. I know. It's so much fun. We, we could do this forever. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, let's keep going. Let's do, let's do a few hours. <laughs> it raises a good question. I mean, you've, you've done, I'm sure, dozens of, of interviews around the book. Uh, has there been a, a question that nobody's asked you yet that you've just been dying to tell people about? Oh, man. <laughs> My brain is fried from all the interviews. The, the I love stumper. the first one. Uh, you know, what kind of made made you? Uh, yeah. Made, what was it? What was the first question he asked? Oh, we don't remember. It was. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on, you asked it. It's probably written down somewhere. It was. It was. Uh, t- tell us a story about a defining moment for you as a man. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you got it written down. You got it written down. Yeah. Um, to be honest, you know, what one of the great things about talking about this book is. This book has all of my thoughts about productivity and mm. it's it's everything I know on productivity and there's nothing I like more than talking about productivity. It's why I love speaking in, in front of groups and stuff like that so much. So, you know, most of the questions, because they're to do with the book and, you know, with the content of the book, um, they've kind of been related to to what I find meaningful and, and valuable. So, you know, is there a question somebody asked me that 
that uh, that I wish they had? Not really. No, not really. Got it all out of you. It's okay. Our our question was perfect. That's all. That's all, <laughs> yeah. that's all that there's we. A big, there's that's... a good curveball to, to start off. Yeah. Chris, uh, the the productivity project is on on shelves now and is available through through Amazon and all the other online outlets. What else are you working on these days that you're excited uh, that you want people to know about? I know you you have a speaking uh, side to you, <laughs> speaking side to you. Um, yeah, I speak y- and I think and I You do all those human being things. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I've been we- speaking for for twenty six years or so. <laughs> <laughs> but you are you are hire, hireable as a speaker. Uh, I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, what's what's on the horizon that you're excited about? Oh man, I, I'm so excited about this book and the fact that you know it, I've I've been kind of in a hole for the last year. Yeah. Kind of, and that that's the weird part, by the way, uh, about promoting a book is like you live inside your head for a year, and then suddenly a bit flips, and the book is out in the world, and you go from looking inside yourself to like talking to everybody under the sun and it's, it's the weirdest experience. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the focus right now. Uh, a lot of speaking. I, I love speaking in front of groups about this stuff. Um, I, I don't want to sound like one of those sleazy motivational speakers, like I'm selling my speaking stuff, but I love doing that. Yeah. Speaking and writing on my site, a life of productivity.com. Um, I don't have as much time for writing for that site as I'd like, but, um, any, any new thoughts I have about productivity go up there. So it's really, you know, the three kind of core elements of my business are, are still the focus today uh, with uh, with the book, with speaking and with the website. And and what sort of a legacy do you want to leave on the world? Uh, I, I just want to help as many people as I can. Cool. You know, and just be be kind. You know, I, I was watching a show that Barack Obama was on. Uh, I forget what it was. It was like a reality TV show where he lived out in the wilderness. With, oh, uh, Bear, Bear, uh, Bear Grylls. That's what it is. That's yeah. what it is. It's a fantastic episode. It's like you see a different side of the guy. And I forget how it came up, but but he mentioned, you know, the advice that he gives to his two daughters. And he says, you know, be useful and be kind. And I think uh, I think it's such a it's a simple idea. But if mm. you do those two things, I think you'll be good. And I, I think that's that's my goal as well. Very to cool. be useful and be kind. What a great way to end the conversation. Chris Bailey, thank you so much for coming on the Man Talks podcast. For everyone out there, go check out the, the Productivity Project and go uh, visit lifeofproductivity.com to learn more about being productive. Thanks so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. You can go to mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and any videos of our events, which are going to be going live soon. Again, please subscribe to us on iTunes so you never miss an episode. And of course, leave us a, a ratings on iTunes. It goes a long way. Just a couple shout outs to a few of our listeners who have left us reviews lately. Tristan131 and The Cubed. Thank you so much, guys. It, it, we really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll talk to you next week when we talk to another inspiring man and have another inspiring conversation. Yeah.